it's maybe not so difficult to get one sensational shot. All right, do not turn that motherfucking clock on. You're listening to One Sensational Shot. This is The Evening Glass with Luke Littleboy and Fletcher Walton. Of course, Fletch uh, has been chatting with his good friend and guest on the show, Aiden, and we were talking about the other week, uh, the best films of 2018 and looking ahead to 2019. And in the coming season here at One Sensational Shot, we're going to be uh, looking at some of our favourite directors. We've got an episode coming up very soon on the Electronic Labyrinth podcast with uh, Joe Dante. We'll be looking at some of his pictures and celebrating the anniversary of the Tom Hanks classic, The Burbs. Uh, however, we thought this evening we would just be taking uh, time out to review that uh, most relevant of ceremonies and award shows, the Oscars. Uh, Fletcher, you tend to stay up late and watch the Oscars. Uh, was was that something that you did this year? In in, in another year, mired with controversy and backpedalling. <laughs> this wasn't meant to be an indictment of the prospect of this year's Academy Awards, but three days in advance of it, me and Chris Wynn realised that neither of us had any enthusiasm for watching it i didn't I, in fact i'd forgotten to the extent where usually i'll book time off work if necessary or at least maybe take a late shift so that i can get to bed at five or six a.m and if i go in at one or two at least i get a few hours kip um and i thought it was this weekend so ah, this time really? last week i thought it was 10 days away and then i realized and there was nothing but a shrug of the shoulders from me i've been unenthused about about the ceremony really um i are we being pompous though to, to say this because there's so, so many schools of thought isn't there and we'll get into the winners and losers in a minute and whether we agree or don't agree or whether we care um but when i talk to people about the oscars there are some who say it's seems less and less relevant to them because they remember back in the day where a lot of the big blockbusters that the films they'd gone to go and see we talked about at length and and, uh, and and up for decent awards. Not just the technical awards, but the Best Picture Awards and, and Director Awards, this kind of thing. And they feel like um, a lot of uh, uh, people who you might call like mainstream audience, if you like, that, who I talk to, feel like the Oscars is less and less about them. Because all the ones for Best Picture these days... They haven't necessarily heard of them, yeah. And then they, then they, then they go to catch up with them later on. Um, I remember a lot of people saying, "Oh yeah, the Shape of Water, yeah, yeah, yeah." I saw that after the, after the the ceremony, after the show. And and as we know, I, I can't remember the statistic, but I think the Shape of Water made something like half of its, was it three quarters of its box office after? We'll fact right, check that. Right. But um, it, it, you know, a lot of the box office for the Best Picture tends to come in now now after the it's won the Oscar and it's been announced. Um, so I don't know if it's that or if it's because um, its audience is now more and more fragmented. I, I, I don't know what it is about the Oscars that just seems so irrelevant these days. Uh, is, 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 have you had any musings on it? I'll talk about the problems I had with getting enthusiastic about it. Um, Kevin Hart was announced as host and then was just as quickly withdrawn as host. That kind of move, it reminds me of a failing football club just <laughs> that, that has so many bad things about it happening in the background. A, a poorly run football club. Um, Kevin Hart uh, re- recused himself, I think, in the end. He withdrew himself from the hosting gig. Uh, but mm-hmm. you would expect that... I would expect 
an organisation to essentially run due diligence. And there are less controversial picks at this time when controversy abounds on the smallest aspect. You know, a, a film can be controversial, like, for instance, the Kevin Hart, Brian Cranston remake of The Untouchables. Uh, mm. That can become controversial because Brian Cranston's able-bodied. And a, a, a mm. term that's now con, uh, considered cripping up. So w- w- when yeah, you're in a situation yeah. where just the representation on screen of a disability can be controversial, it would it's behoove, it behooves the Academy to just go back five, six years in the search history and find out whether or not Kevin Hart was saying shitty stuff about gay people because it was mm. all of this was public domain and it was part of his act. I don't believe he's a homophobe or I, rather I don't believe he's... Uh, his homophobia is more meaningful or pronounced than a hundred other comics working today. But uh, mm. just to choose somebody so eminently controversial was dumb. Um, and I presumed that they'd go back to Billy Crystal, Steve Martin, Whoopi Goldberg, uh, maybe a Neil Patrick yeah. Harris. And, you know, there was vacillation and then nothing. And so an, an Academy Awards without a host, for me, the... Re- Every time I've watched it, and I think this was the first time this decade that I haven't watched it live, every time I've watched it, the best part has been essentially the opening hour. So the first five minutes yeah. of skit, uh, then the host comes Billy out. Billy Crystal's big opening exactly, number. Yeah, whatever. yeah. so sometimes yeah. it's record, pre-recorded. Um, there was a fun one. There's little touches in it that are good. So uh, one, year they, one year they performed a pastiche of Paranormal Activity, and if I mm-hmm. if I remember rightly, it had like Steve Martin in the Paranormal Activity bedroom, standing motionless over Bill, Billy Crystal in bed, and then at one point <laughs> walloping him in the face with a slap. <laughs> Little things like that. So th- th- those yeah, those packages that open two or three minutes are usually enjoyable. And then Steve Martin or Whoopi or even Ellen will come out and do three four minutes to camera. Yeah, it's pretty fun. You know that gets it going. Because uh, I'm not a song and dance man. I'm I've very little interest in musical numbers, and oh, I love a musical. I know number. you do, yeah. <laughs> Jermaine to this year, I don't need to see the guy Adam. Is it Adam Lambert, the bloke who's now in Queen? I don't need to see him doing. Oh yeah, the whole year's been about a bloke doing a Queen impersonation, and then you get another bloke doing a Queen impersonation. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, I don't need another. I don't need Queen. Yeah, I, I just don't need that. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I, I I don't mind Queen. I've got nothing against Queen, but. I mean, they get where water doesn't. Don't they? <laughs> they, yeah. They're there everywhere, and they always have been. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. they um, they get the they get the uh, climax in Baby Driver, for instance. Even they With do. Brighton get the climax Mark and keep Baby yourself Driver. alive. They're they're, they're um, they've re-entered the pop culture conversation, and that's fine for them. Um, and I feel like as Brits, we just get them. We, we we see them we see them like as we're walking down the street practically you know I remember the, <laughs> was it the golden was it the golden jubilee or diamond jubilee where you know suddenly Brian May's on the roof of yeah. uh, <laughs> Buckingham Palace with uh, playing a guitar solo whatever like he just they they get everywhere since we started <laughs> on it I didn't yet see Bohemian Rhapsody but every review suggests to me that it is entirely what I expect it to be which is a very straightforward plain yes. rather dull biopic doesn't it tell is. me anything new. And the sort yep. of thing that is usually um, enhanced, like a hundred percent, is made twice as good as it should be by the central performances, and that's proven with Rami yep. Malek, who well done him. He does a good Freddie Mercury, and he yeah, got, he does. He got He's the great, Academy yeah. Award. But it's definitely one of those pictures where, as I said to Aidan, 
my old man will watch it and I'll say, someone with a heavy heart, oh yeah, um, how was it? And he'll say, oh, you know, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was all right, yeah, you know, he's really like Freddie, and that's some yeah, sometimes is, that's yeah. all people want, I suppose. Yeah, that is. But I need. I to, think that yeah. I think that's part of it. it. It's it fell into that. We we didn't cover it because I don't think we were recording at the time. But yeah, it fell into that same trap that all music biopics fall into, pretty much, and and what I despise them for, which is um, when you, you just get so many scenes, and this was like the first hour was scene after scene of just the cliched. Where they're playing the famous riff, yeah, <laughs> and it's just one, it's one note, it's one note off, and then someone goes, "How about we do it like this?" <laughs> and then they play, and they they play the C or the D or whatever it is, and then suddenly the riff is complete, and it, and I, I'm just like, no man, I, I can't deal with it because it, I, I just feel like no one's buying it and you shouldn't be selling it. Like that's yeah, surely not yeah. the way it happens in, uh, not the way it happens in real life, and. Um, I find it odd, and yeah, this one played very fast and loose with the uh, with the chronology. That's been well documented, and uh, there was things that I mean, I'm not the world's biggest Queen fan, but there was things happening, events happening, like breaking up before Live Aid, for example. I'm like, I I know that's not true. Yeah, <laughs> I know yeah. that's not what happened. <laughs> I know they were a bit past it or whatever, uh, and they maybe hadn't had an LP for a bit, but they hadn't like broken up. Like this is insane. Uh, you know, Led Zeppelin got back together for it. Anyway, yeah. I, I digress. I do apologise. But yes, it did fall into but a lot of those tracks. In fact, they'd had a film. I was going to say film. In fact, they'd had an album relatively recently. They had an album called The Works. I can't remember which tracks are on it. Because, uh, again, oh, I'm it's, not, it's, it's I'm the not works. well into it. It's them. everything. But I think it's got... Um, yeah, <laughs> I think it's got uh, Radio Gaga. I think it's on that one. So, oh, but yeah. I, don't, I don't even want to get into that whole thing. What What's confounding to me is and maybe this is because so few people watched it but Luke and I did and Luke and I would say we're in a post walk hard world I don't know how those tropes that have been parodied yeah. <laughs> to perfection 10 years ago yeah. in Kirsten's yeah. Walk Hard how they can still be pervade in 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 normal films only through meditation can we begin to understand our role we're nothing but grains of sand that was freaking transcendental, Paul McCartney. Don't you agree, John Lennon? Yes, Dewey Cox. With meditation, there's no limit to what we can imagine. What do you think, George Harrison, of the Beatles? I don't know. You know, I'm just trying to get some more songs on the album. You know. And as Ringo Starr, I'm not so interested in meditation. I just like to have fun. <laughs> I like the little one. <laughs> it's so dark in this tent, you know. It reminds me when we... The Beatles, the four Beatles. Mm. Us. From Liverpool. Yeah, we are from, from Liverpool. Liverpool. We used to play those dark clubs in Hamburg. You remember that ball? Of course I do. I booked them. I'm the leader of the Beatles. I think I might adjourn to another dimension, take some LSD. You care to join me? Yeah, let's do that. Care to join us for some LSD, do we? It's mm. good for you. Built by scientists, it is. Lysergic. <sighs> Gotta check with headquarters. Mum, Dewey Cox. I think you might enjoy it. Open up your mind to new experience, a new level of consciousness like we do because we are the Beatles. Why don't you just let him decide if he wants to take LSD, he'll take it. He doesn't have to listen to you. You're not the boss of him. Don't tell me what to say and what not to say, Paul McCartney. I'm sick of you being so dark when I'm so impish and whimsical. I'm sick of it. Hey, everyone, I've got a brand new mantra. Hmm? Mm, Paul's a big fat cunt. <laughs> don't know why you're doing. Let me write more songs. You know, I just sit here while my guitar... 
quietly whimpers. Well, you are the quiet one, so why don't you shut the fuck up? I've got a song about an octopus. Jam it up your ass. You're lucky we still like to play drums. Mm. Wow. Seems like there's a rift happening between the Beatles. <laughs> I wonder if your songs will still be shit when I'm 64. Great song. No! Stop it! You stop well, fighting! The Beatles, please stop fighting here in India. He's let, him go. let him work it out. That feels like what uh, Bohemian Rhapsody probably was. But going back to the reasons why I didn't even... I'll tell you, here's the problems that the, the Academy Awards face this year. It's it has so many obstacles to surmount. It's basically mm. doing it's it's a gymnast. Um, it has it, to be all things to all people. Yeah, if a gymnast was participating in a kind of a a gym haptathlon where not only do they do the parallel bars, but they do the rings and the pommel horse and then the dancing with the twirly, they're doing all those things at once. So <laughs> the Academy Awards number one, in order to justify its length and its televisation, it has to be an entertainment spectacle. However, at the same time as being truly that, as being uh, three or four hours of song and dance and glitz and ridiculous conventions like women in dresses on the red carpet, which should have been kicked into the dustbin of history, I don't know, 10 years ago, minimum, maybe 30, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. but that still goes on. So in addition, what I want to know is when are we going to get the men on the red carpet moment? That's what I want to know. Where? Yeah. What about us, the silent majority? The best I ever saw was when Trey Parker and Matt Stone were nominated and dressed up as J Lo, when she was yeah, still Jennifer Lopez. I can't remember. One of them wore the the famous green dress with the slit down to the navel, and I can't remember what the other one wore. They went as that, and I thought at least they're being subversive with it. Um, and mm. drag is quite fun. Sp- Sp- Spike looked fantastic. Did you oh, see Spike oh yeah, on the red yeah, carpet? I did. Yeah, so that was yeah. Let's purple suit. Yeah, and um, the prince love symbol. I think love symbol number one, not love symbol number two, which was the symbol that he used throughout the nineties as his name. This was love symbol number one, which uh, someone can correct me. What did he use that on? An earlier album. It might have been. Was it the love symbol album or was it before? Might have been Love Sexy. And of course, Mary Don't You Weep, uh, which was, uh, it's a Prince recording solo on piano of Mary Don't You Weep, which is an old black gospel song um, that was used on the credits to Black Klansman this year. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they, they were good buddies, weren't they? And um, they collaborated a few times in the 90s. So the badge was Black Klansman and I didn't see the necklace. I'm just checking it out now. I'm just looking at a picture. I hadn't seen the necklace. Yeah, I thought that, so I only, so I caught only, I didn't even watch highlights for the first time ever. In, I was like a normal person instead of watching the thing until five in the morning I woke up the following day and looked at what I'd won and what I'd lost and mm-hmm. immediately focused on Spike Lee's win for best screenplay, best adapted screenplay, um, which yeah. I find is always contentious because sometimes it's it's not even, like, it can be adapted if you made a short film, like with Whiplash Yeah, I, I, I do know what you mean Yeah, yeah. that that was surprising to, like, I didn't even know Whiplash was fell into that category way back when of, mm. of, of adapted screenplay and um that was news to me at the time and there's something about adapted screenplay i might maybe making this up but it always almost feels like faint praise doesn't it like mm. uh oh you, you had a you had a starting point and then you uh you, you adapted it well done yeah uh, whereas it's not best original screenplay is uh <laughs> yeah is, is is such a like more, more has more gravitas to it in, in some way i saw that spike had won I was pleased, and then I saw his acceptance, and I was delighted. Um, the history of him jumping up with Samuel L. Jackson and la- launching himself into his arms is that 
Spike Lee and Samuel L. Jackson fell out at the end of the 90s. Spike Lee was critical of Tarantino's consistent use of certain slurs. Um, mm. in, in response to which Samuel L. Jackson said something quite pithy, back to Tarantino all of the way, and said, Tarantino's writing interesting, exciting, successful films. Spike hasn't had one of those for a while. Now, at the time Samuel L. Jackson said that, like Jackie Brown time, 1998, it was, it was kind of a stupid thing to say because he got game. One of my favourite Spike Lee pictures, or Spike Lee joints, as I should say, was actually number one yeah. in, the U- in the US box office. But mm. uh, yeah, he kind of had a point, and so Sam Jackson was firmly in Tarantino's camp for a full 10 years, 10, 12 years, and then it was... Spike Lee and Samuel L. Jackson buried the hatchet in advance of the Old Boy remake in 2013-2014. And then mm. you and I both saw Sam Jackson as the narrator in Chirac. And uh, what yep. it, the first thing it made me think of when I watched them together, it reminded me of what should have happened with Bill Murray and Harold Ramis, who fell out and never rekindled properly, certainly never publicly. And it was a, a deathbed repentance essentially in which um murray eventually went to harold ramus as he lay sick and uh they were cordial with one another we've talked about this before because um mutual friends had said to bill murray he's fucking dying you've got to do something and you can't you and then uh, and one of my favorite and a very well-known academy awards moment is a couple of years ago when during best cinematography Bill Murray made an aside, and I always presume he literally beckoned the camera toward him and then made an aside honouring Harold Ramis. And with tears in his eyes and his funny Irish face all crumpled up, trying to be stoic, and you think, you can't... Jesus, don't leave it that long. Don't leave it until they're dead to do it properly. And so seeing Samuel L. Jackson, who'd been with Spike Lee, not from the very beginning of his career, but I think he's in his second picture school days. Of course, he's in his third to do the right thing. So he was there in 89 and he I, I think Samuel L. Jackson was nominated for Jungle Fever as a Gator Purify is the name of his character mm. um, Wesley Snipes is called Flipper I don't know where this comes from Wesley Snipes is called Flipper and his brother played by Samuel L. Jackson is Gator a crack addict in Jungle Fever and uh, Spike Lee sorted him out with that role so yeah the first thing I thought was wonderful to see two friends Two old friends who had fallen out for a decade, but now they're back together. And who better to be the one to announce it than Samuel L. Jackson? That was perfect, even possibly even more so than Denzel Washington. And then when he got up mm. there and the first thing he said was, don't turn on that motherfucking clock. And I thought, whoa, yes, that's yeah. exactly what yeah. we need. That's exactly what we need. And the funny thing is that I've seen a couple of reviews. Well, I don't know why I said it weird there. I've seen a couple of reviews and um, they've said that Standing back from it all, Green Book and Black Klansman are fairly complementary because I, I haven't yet seen Green Book and I understand that it's driving Miss Daisy for 2019, 2018. And he made the he made the comment, yeah. didn't he? Like that he th- he threw his hands up, I think, and almost tried to storm out and said, "It's just like when someone's driving, like I'm yeah, get yeah. overlooked in yeah. some way." But the, the fury that that has met that film. Is I'm not going to say it seems disproportionate. I can I, I have to say even without seeing the film, it must be disproportionate to a film which is essentially saying two people who are very different and racially different get to know one another and become friends over time. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. that's sappy. It may not be the exact message that we need now, but at the same time, for some people, that there are clearly some people in America 
who maybe do need as simple a message as that. But the point I'm making is that Green Book and Black Klansman are complementary. Green Book says, if we come together, we have many commonalities, and even though we may be different, we can overcome those and essentially work together very nicely. What Spike Lee's usually said in most of his films is something similar, but as I've said about Do the Right Thing, it's more about... Um, we all hate each other equally, but we have to live in the same city. So how does that happen? What do we do? Figure out a way. We're economically dependent upon one another. There isn't the option of segregation like there is in the South. We're all here in New York in this tiny neighbourhood or in this big city. We've got to get along. So there you go. You know, you've got to sort it out. But Black Klansman seems to say, while Green Book is saying if we come together, we can uh, enjoy our differences and be friends. Black Klansman is, also, is saying... I think, while that's true, there is indentured, irreversible racism. How do we deal with mm. that? Are there both, yeah, both I take messages? your point. I, mean, I, th- I, th- I think the root of the, the Green Book thing is that it's primarily seen through the eyes of the white character. I mean, I think that's what people seem to be uh, getting at. Um, and I suppose it's... I think what maybe disappoints people is that it is such a... It could have been made in 1994... Yeah. Uh, or ninety nine, let alone two thousand nineteen. I, I I think I think it just feels like quite a conventional Oscar fodder. You know, we all yeah. know the Oscar tropes of whether someone's um like you say Freddie Mercury, whether someone's doing a wonderful impersonation of a dead person, or um whether it's uh, a British actor playing an American president, or whatever it might be. It's I think the Green Book thing felt like to some people. Oh yeah, of course they went for that. That's such an Oscar film. Yeah, it wasn't the bo- it wasn't the bold choice. It was a white director, the the white protagonist that the film is told through their eyes. Um, but you know, I, I, at the end of the day, I I see what you're saying too. I think that it's how can it be? It, it's hardly a bad. The the ultimate message of the film is it can hardly be um, one to turn your nose up at. You know, it's one to get behind for sure. Yeah, it's. It's probably artistically regressive because I can't imagine that it's doing anything artistically interesting whatsoever. And its message is outdated and comfortable. Um, A couple of things that I think are funny, though, is that 50 years ago... (laughs) So here's here's a mark of how we have moved on. 50 years ago, a film about a white man and a black man would have offended people because it had a black man in it, right? Mm. And... Now we're at least at a point where a film about a black man and a white man is offending people because perhaps the perspective, the prism through which it's seen is too white oriented or Caucasian oriented. Um, these, again, I've re- said it yeah, before, yeah, I'll yeah. restate it, but these these arguments only work in North America. Uh, mm. It's... this the, the way we were raised in Europe, the way we integrate in Europe... The very fact that in continental Europe there's no there's no such thing as borders. You can pretend there's a border, but if I can walk across it, if the people on that side of the border speak German, even though they're in France, and the people on my side speak French, even though they're German, we don't have what America has. And so transplanting their arguments about race to this country is... Uh... To an extent... But 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 yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. Um... And then the other thing that I thought about Green Book, just in the run-up to the Academy Awards, was I'd noticed uh, I, the backlash came so early, 
I re- it's almost as if they've positioned the backlash as early as possible so that they can get through the backlash and then by November, December, January, they're ready once again to be the dark horse front runner. If the backlash had come in November, December, January, then I think they would have been edged out. But mm. the film was released and then very quickly it was uh, reprimanded for its racial politics. But then that simmered down mm-hmm. and a few more people saw it. And essentially the, the, the room went quiet enough. And I think, I think that's what happened. And I wonder if um, mm. films that... I, I can't even say that Green Book's controversial, but a film with any element of controversy, maybe that will be its strategy from now on. In the run-up to its release, they'll know that, they'll be, that they, there will be a backlash and it's up to the filmmakers and the marketing people to manipulate when that backlash takes place. Maybe mm. get the backlash going before the film's even released... So then those people have worn themselves out by the time it's two, three weeks into its run. I don't know. But I, I, think, yeah, I, 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 I think as well... Sorry, go on. No, no, no. I, I was going to say that whilst I'm not sure if that specifically happened to Green Book, maybe it did, maybe it didn't, um, I don't think that's too tinfoil hat wearing crazy. <laughs> I think that's, that's definitely a PR move that people are going to be making these days, for sure. And not, not just for films, but for you know, other aspects of life too. That's definitely something that I can, I can hear a PR person advising. I love to see mainstream culture forced to confront its inconsistencies and it was, there's been no better a year for that than a year in which uh, the 18 months preceding it made very clear that Hollywood has intended to draw a line uh, over past behaviours, the casting couch culture. And then the most successful film of 2018 and the surprise hit of the 2019 Academy Awards was fucking Bohemian Rhapsody, the one directed by the guy who's had the parties. And (laughs) this is the funny thing. Two years ago, I'd talk about Brian Singer and you'd get very nervous and I'd eventually have to cut it out. That's how long this story has been percolating. I mean, we knew about this on the set of Apt Pupil in 1998 and the lawsuit in 99. But even two years ago... You and I have been talking about (laughs) Brian Singer and Kevin Spacey uh, since since we've known each other. But we met in the mid-2000s. We've always mentioned them, haven't we? From there, from the, I mean, the thing to say, all alleged. Of course, this is, yeah. these are all uh, these are all alleged uh, incidents, ac- ac- accusations, etc. So, but but yes, the, it's been it's been in the in the conversation. And so here was an opportunity for Hollywood to, as I've said, I'll use the phrase again, to to kick into the bin the excesses of the past, the criminal excesses of the past, or even just the uh, crap practices and the shit attitudes of the preceding mm. 70, 80 years of Hollywood. And then what emerges as the big winner, the one directed by the guy, they give the editing award to John Ottman, who's been Singer's collaborator for two decades, a close friend of his, has always worked with D- him. Didn't mention him, didn't mention him any speeches. Yeah. It wasn't mentioned once, I believe. And, and it's, um, and I'm not, I'm not trying to kick someone when they're down and I'm not disavowing someone after the fact because for me, he's been a, a rather perfunctory, safe set of studio hands. And I had, for the longest time, I had no idea that he was so unprofessional on set. But nevertheless, here was here was a great opportunity for Hollywood to say, no, we reject this. And instead, they say, yeah, this is fantastic. Direct, we're not going to mention the director's name. But uh, yeah, I, yeah, I completely know where you're coming from. I guess in the case of Bohemian Rhapsody, um, 
specifically. That one has been in gestation for, I think, decades. Yeah, uh, yeah, literally lots of different ten people years. Attached yeah, yeah. To it. Um, lots of different people attached to it. And, um, of course, Brian May and... Uh, um, Dear Lord, name escapes me. Um, I forget which one is involved in it as well. So there's Deacon and Taylor, yeah, but, one but, of those, yeah. Well, Deacon is... Uh, so, yeah, it's Roger Taylor's the one who's involved in it, right? Because... Right. Um, Deacon is the, was the bass player, right? And he, he's he's no longer um, he's kind of a recluse. He's he's not that involved. Oh. So yeah. Anyway, the, the 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 surviving members, if you like, active members of Queen, have been kind of the front men of the project for some time as well. Even all over social media, and uh, and, and they've been the kind of the champions of it. So yes, you're right that um, they t- they didn't mention Brian Singer once. His name is still on there as director, um, but maybe it feels like more of a relay race in some some regard and um yeah. queen have been geniuses over the years this this goes back to freddie mercury as well literally hand designing the queen logo himself uh they've they've been masters at their own um brand i'd say that the queen and the beatles are two of the shining examples of how a band um carefully craft and manage their own image and manage their legacy crucially after after the fact that the band's no longer uh, producing, at least with the classic lineup, mm. um, so m- maybe there's an element of that. But yeah, I, I know what you mean. It is um, it is contradictory, and it is interesting that it wasn't mentioned once, not at all. Um, I heard that Taylor and May, when they presented the original screenplay to Sasha Baron Cohen, who I think would have been as good a pick. I don't know if he's quite the actor Rami Malek is but I think he could have done a really good Freddie Mercury. He does happen to look a bit like him as well. He does, But uh, when they brought it to him, Sasha Baron Cohen, reading the screenplay, and said, "Um, well, this is interesting that you've got the Live Aid performance in in the middle, and then you keep on being queen without Freddie without Freddie Mercury. In fact, his death is like halfway or two-thirds into the film, and it shows you going from strength to strength. Is that is that entirely accurate? Is that true to life? And so from the very beginning, it was, as you say, it was a careful curation of the Queen legend and the Queen myth. And uh, Taylor and May were saying, yeah, but that's, you know, that's how it went down. We lost Freddie and that was terrible. But then we rose like a phoenix from the flames. And I think, like, who thinks that? Which Queen fans really think that? Which Queen fans think <laughs> Queen didn't end in 1991? Who mm. I know they perform. I know that's important and that is good for them. But... It's, uh, you know, no one's making a film about the Beach Boys in 2008, are they? No, no, nor, I know what you mean. Nor yeah. should they be. Uh, so, they, yeah. yeah, that was interesting. But but then at the same time, so this is the thing that... Um, it's very easy... Right, it's right to be sceptical of the Academy Awards. However, as I've reminded us uh, in the write-up to the podcast a couple of weeks ago, the Academy, literally one-third of the time, has sought to honour David Lynch. When you're dealing with yeah. an organisation with that understanding of authorship, David Lynch is not a normal... Well, he's both 100% normal, Eagle Scout, bloke on the street, seems great, and mm. a-, a man with the most alarming understanding of nightmares that's ever been... that really has ever been evinced and evoked in popular culture. And and they, yeah, they respect I, him, and then we, we look at the... The failings of the Academy should be, to an extent, overlooked when you think that they can't stop giving awards to Alfonso Cuaron and Iñárritu. The the Best Director Academy Award has been given to a white American male 
I think it's now once this decade. And since Jonathan Demme with Science of the Lambs in 1991, only seven American males, eight including both Coen brothers, have been awarded Best Director, which is entirely representative of who is making the most interesting stuff and where the best stuff is being made. Sam Mendes, who's uh, like English-Portuguese, um, Catherine Bigelow, Quaron, Iñárritu, Guillermo del Toro, Ang Lee has two Best Director Academy Awards. So if we're talking about diversity, which we are, um, Best Director is a great example of it. And so an, an organisation which recognises that the best directing work isn't being done by Americans is surely mm. on the right track. And then you look at who else was nominated, and it's our boy, Yorgos Lanthimos. And he's mm, nominated yeah. for Best Picture as well. And I've, I've talked a lot with Aidan about how the favourite is Lanthimos for squares, essentially. Lanthimos for yeah, grandmothers it is. It is, it as is well. A bit. But it's still... It's still fairly out there because you and I are. It's got fingering in it, Fletch. Well, yeah, it's got I don't even think it. about these things, but I think you and I are progressive enough and just odd enough and have been odd from a young enough age. Like, I think that when I was nine, I watched Hairspray and it was nothing. I said to my old man, That lady looks like a bloke. And he said, That's divine. Who's divine? Oh, he's a bloke that dresses up as a woman. Yeah, fair enough. You know, it's just these things have been self evident to me from a very young age. Like, the, yeah. the, the success of. RuPaul's Drag Race is surprising to me. I think, hold on a second, like RuPaul was big 25 years ago. Are we are we going yeah, through that yeah. again? Do we need to once again roll out and re-understand drag culture? I thought we'd been I thought that uh war had been won, that race had been run. But uh, apparently it <laughs> needs to we need to go through it again. I don't know. But um yeah, to see Lanthimos nominated and I yeah, I think it's his least controversial, but at the same time it is essentially a film about a kind of a three-way gay relationship and a really good yeah. but you and i i think are seeing it only from artistic perspectives whereas some people might say oh it's about lesbians it might take us two weeks to realize <laughs> oh, oh yeah i suppose i suppose it was wasn't it yeah i wasn't really thinking about that i was thinking about all the other mad stuff like did you see it you saw it didn't you i did see the favorite and adored it it's also i would say not about lesbians but about power struggle mm. that's what it's truly about yeah but, but it's about how uh, how um power can shift uh with you know, the turning of the breeze or whatever yeah. um, uh, overnight, and uh, that that to me is what it was. More, it was more more around uh, leaders, and no matter how strong and stable, sorry, <laughs> you think you might be, uh, the wind can change, and yeah. uh, and things can shift. That's that's to me what it was around more than lesbians. But yes, you're right, yeah. uh, and it is it, it 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 is odd, and and that's what I was trying to say that it, it's um it's probably his more accessible film. Even even down to the way people speak in it, they almost they speak a little bit more normally in it, for yeah. example, instead of uh like they're reading from a a poem that they barely know or something, which yeah. is he's not normally really uh, takes you off into another worldly sense with his other pictures. So yeah, it was the more accessible one, and also it is kind of wrapped as a historical drama even though it's quite upfront that it's kind of playing fast and loose with details and yeah. filling in blanks with huge brush strokes it's wrapped up in a kind of not in a post-apocalyptic or sci-fi kind of realm it's well this is a costume drama with some fingering in it and yeah. um there, there, there's there's odd things in there that the, the strange percussive soundtrack uh, the uh, the fisheye lens showing you yeah. sh showing you the the, the the corridors and the, uh, the 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 full weight of a room around you was all great. Yeah. Um, but it is it's just more con it's just more conventional picture I would say overall. And I don't know 
I don't yet know what he was looking to achieve and presumably what he did achieve with that fish ang with the fisheye lens, but it did reveal the entirety of the chambers in which the action took mm. place, you know. To me, there was a couple of things. There was, And I could be misreading it, or it could be open to interpretation. Someone could uh, maybe get in touch with the show and, and let me know what they thought. But for me, it felt like uh, the people, kings and queens and bureaucrats come and go. The, the, the institution remains. The state remains. And that's what it felt like to me, oh. that, that all of these people were in this, um, you know, almost like a doll's house or whatever, you know, that yeah. they, they were in this institution that they were all trying like hell to trying their hardest to grapple with and, and become out, come out on top as the as the king, the, the person with the power, the person who pulled all the strings. But really, the institution is enveloped them and it's kind of laughing at them because it's it's there, you know, I like that. Yeah, I'll go with that one. <laughs> That's yeah. just that was just the way I thought. No, that works well, also, nicely. maybe it's because the maybe it's because the uh, maybe it's because the house looked lovely. I don't know. <laughs> the other thing I liked about it was um, some of the most arresting lighting since Barry Lyndon. I know that's a bold claim to make, and I am partially making it just because Barry Lyndon's usually in my head because I adore it so. But specific scenes, um, there's an instance where. You know, for the longest time in the posters, I thought it was Margot Robbie, and like a full eight minutes into the film until I realised mm. it was Emma Stone. They're interchangeable I to me at this did, point. I think it didn't help because they had Queen of Scots out around the that's, same time. Yeah, that's Martin. right, yeah. I think I was starting to mix them up together. But there's a scene where Emma Stone is... Either Emma Stone or Rachel Weisz is outside of the Queen's chambers in complete darkness, but for a candle uh, held in her hand. Um, mm. And even... Now, this isn't to say that it took me out of the film, but even watching it, I thought, Jesus Christ, that's not easy to shoot. Wow. Mm. And and then um, there's something about illumination in the film. I, I think it's more than just the set design. I think it might be there might be a textual comment made there because um, there was a wonderful scene in which Emma Stone and Nicholas Holt take a walk around the grounds. And I'd never considered what that meant at that time. I suppose I've seen it a dozen times in various costume dramas and when they say they're gonna have a stroll you think they'll just go around like the battlements but they walk out into the essentially into the grounds and into the gardens onto that path which is illuminated only by torches that looked yeah. fabulous as well and then there's a, did, there yeah. must be a symbolism about that. it's very funny as well when he just bodily pushes her down into a ditch that was fun <laughs> too but to, to throw her from the lighted path so uh, physically that meant something. Again, like with the other Lanthimos we've seen, uh, I, I look forward to taking it in again. Rachel Weisz was great. I think what we've established already is that, yeah, Green Books, you know, maybe we shouldn't be so uh, excited about the racial politics of the film. But let's not forget that it's a very moribund picture. And the favourite like blows it out of the water immediately. It only takes four minutes of discussion to realise, shit... This was yeah. this was the thing, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I thought one of the best Rachel Vice performances I've seen. Everything she does well was well demonstrated in that. It really brought her alive to me again, and it, my immediate reaction was, "Here we go, the next phase of Rachel Vice's career." So she's finished playing women in their thirties. Now she can take the proper mm. roles. Here we go with it. Yeah, yeah. the the the, uh, the game players, and mm. the, the the yeah, I'm excited by that because I've liked her for a long time and. 
she she's uh, sufficiently famous that occasionally she it feels she needs to take a kind of a normal film. No, stay away from that. Work with Lanthimos. That's the way to do it. The Lobster. You know. That's yeah. Here we go. Yeah, I, I thought she was fantastic in it. Um, but for for me, I don't know. The Oscars uh, hostless um, was certainly an issue. But uh, some of the guest turns were fantastic. I love Tina Fey. Uh, her comment: "Welcome to the one millionth Oscars." <laughs> she she has, has me in stitches immediately. Um, and uh, there, there was I like. I like Melissa McCarthy's bit when she came out with, uh, I think was it to present the costume award, best costume design, and she was dressed in a ridiculously oversized dress, like mimicking mimicking Olivia Olivia Coleman's dress, and um, and spoke really deadpan about how uh, costume is a very subtle way of telling a story <laughs> as, as this whole, this, she was enveloped in this huge, huge, uh, uh, queen, uh, outfit with, uh, with, with, with moving, moving puppets I all see. over it of, of, uh, of rabbits. Cause of course, Olivia Commons character has, has, has pet rabbits. So it, it, that was a wonderful moment. I'm looking but, at a uh, picture now. I see, but she's also, you haven't mentioned, but she's with Brian Tyree Henry. <laughs> she is. Yeah. And he's got the kind of it, tribal markings around his eyes. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> And the Killmonger yeah, hair as well. <laughs> so, to, yeah, talking about how, how costume was a subtle way of telling a story or whatever. That was cool. That was great. Um, but for me, I think, I, I wonder if the Oscars is kind of doomed in the same way some live football is or, or whatever it might be. You know, people see these falling numbers and I think it's because the marketplace is becoming increasingly fragmented. When I talk to people at work, there's definitely people who are into their films and follow their films increasingly of course i'm working with people who've got kids so they maybe not, aren't getting to the cinema but we have a conversation about what's out there but increasingly uh, i find a lot of people the conversation around the water cooler as it were is more around uh original content on netflix oh yeah luke you'd really like this show i've just started watching it and it's kind of like some netflix original sci-fi thing and they know that i like genre pictures so um they'll start to talk about that and I don't know. I I find that I find that maybe film, unfortunately, uh, in the cinema, um, is becoming not less culturally relevant, but it's 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 not part of the conversation like maybe it once was. And as a result of that, because the Oscars is the utter epitome of an industry patting itself on its own back, maybe people just aren't all that interested. I think you're right. But you're right. I, I agree they, with you. They, and and one reason I do is. Three years ago, Brett Easton Ellis said the exact same thing. He said that dinner parties in Los Angeles, parties he attends, the conversation is about television, it's not about film. That is not to say there are not as many compelling, fantastic, progressive films, and I mean progressive both in terms of their uh, diversity politics, but more importantly, stretching the medium. There are as many films Mm. like that being made now as there were 10 years ago, as there were 40 years ago, they're not being seen, though. They're not being seen. And this brings me... I'll, I'll, I'll bring us back to the things that the Academy Awards has to balance all at once, and this is why it's impossible. It needs to be a live television broadcast which draws a lot of viewers. But at the same time, it has to award... sincerely award those most... Uh, those works of its year that are most artistically challenging and worthy. However, it also needs to make sure that some of those, at least, are films that were actually viewed by people, which is where the... Uh, the conversation for most popular film 
came in and then was quickly discarded. Black Panther, for instance, was probably nominated for that reason. In addition to that, mm. it needs to make sure that it... And this is the case. It needs to check certain boxes. It needs to make sure African-American representation is as high as possible. And I'm not making any judgment on that. That's uh, If it's not happening, right, if there aren't enough black nominees, it's because that there aren't enough black films being made and that's it's it, we what we want to do is see as trying to trying to think how to put it to actually convey my my quite specific point but i want to see made as many interesting points of view as possible i don't give a fuck whether they're nominated for academy awards get everything in there so the academy awards needs to check that box as well but at the same time and this is what suffered this year so this year it did the black stuff okay but it wasn't able to honor the women who absolutely would I would think should have been in the best director conversation, Deborah Granick and Lynn Ramsey. Deborah Granick should have been a shoo-in. Um, and once you check all those boxes, then you see the other one that they forget. And Luke, we've talked about this before. Rami Malek, again, straight bloke, nominated and winning for portraying a gay character. And there has still yep. not been a single out gay male nominated for best actor this century. And yet, and and this, and however, you know, this is in an environment in which people would say, Los Angeles, Hollywood, land of fruits and nuts. Yeah, it's yeah. all gays and Jews, and they're the least represented yeah. there. And this is the mad thing. I don't know. I don't know why the gay lobby, maybe it doesn't want to put its hand up and say, hey, what about us? Maybe it feels it's being represented in other areas. But it's really pronounced to me that there are no gay leading men nominated for best actor. Let's be honest, there are very few gay leading men. We probably couldn't name. We, we probably couldn't name one that would even fall inside the top 20. Well, probably probably because everyone knows who's gay and no one wants to uh, no one wants to out each other and put that... Well, yeah, yeah, as, there's part of that as well. But, but this, this is the thing. So there already we've got five or six difficult... Five or six difficult, uh, sensitive issues which the Academy must balance at the same time in, in perfect synchrony. Mm-hmm. And do all of that while still being something that people actually want to watch and have a, and essentially have a laugh with, because yeah. there's there's meant to be serious parts of it, but it's generally meant to be a jocular way to spend four hours. Um, I don't know how they can do that. I'd, good luck to them, man. <laughs> yeah, it, it'll be knocking around for a few years as yet, I'm sure. And uh, I don't think it'll ever quite go away. I, I think um, w whether it's televised or not forever, I don't know. That's another story. But um, I, I think there will always be an Oscars in some way, shape or form. Um, it's just um, not that water cooler moment, I think, that yeah. um, it used to be. Because I wake up and I hear it on... The uh, breakfast news is a headline as to who won and what the controversy was or whatever it might be. But I go to work. No one's really talking about it. No one cares. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, and hardly anyone's seen anything in the best picture category nominations either. Missing... What do you think of Star Is Born? Lex Lex's favourite film of the moment. We uh, got out when got it on Blu-ray the other day as well. Uh, watched it two or three times at home since. Um, the the picture opens with him singing a track called either called or with reference to Wayside. And mm -hmm. I was joking to Thorpe about how it's essentially, he's saying like, uh, 
I'll be on the wayside, left at the wayside, won't make it to the end of the film. You know, <laughs> but um, I, I right. So that picture opens. Some great live, Go great on. live footage oh, yeah, though. This, great live footage, like, like, like recorded say. so so well. Yeah, shot so well, I say. Um, a couple of problems. So here's a problem I have with most directors. Most directors aren't cool, and they don't know decent music. So. Um, so many directors that we admire and love wouldn't have any idea about even, say, Pixies, let alone Butthole Surfers or Minutemen or Big Black. Um, yeah, there are there are those, very, ba- those baby boomer directors. You know, they're not they're, they're not into the uh, into the eighties indie scene. And are they? S- yeah. like school, yeah, but Scorsese's a Scorsese's an outlier in that he has he's kept somewhat current, but additionally, because remember as well, like he, he's a how old would he be? He's in his late thirties by the time the Clash come along. And he's still, mm. you know, wanting to cast them in Gangs of New York and then does essentially get them in King of Comedy as far as he can. Yep. But um, Scorsese's an outlier. He's always had a, a very strong interaction with pop music since Be My Baby. Um, you know, there's a... I'm going to try and get it right. There's a Arctic Monkeys lyric that says, like, the beginning of Mean Streets, won't you be my baby? <laughs> I thought it was fun. Oh right! Yeah. I hadn't heard it yeah. until uh, until recently. Um, yeah, so directors aren't cool, and there's obvious exceptions like Sofia Coppola, Hal Hartley, Greg Araki, David Fincher knows his music. Um, but generally speaking, I don't expect films to understand concerts and rock music and decent music and indie alternative and any of that. But what the cinematographer Matthew Labatik, who is Aronofsky's DP, did with Bradley Cooper at the beginning of Star Is Born. Yeah, fuck. I'll take all of that yeah. you've got. The um, what I the, I don't know if this was I don't know what the intention of this was, although I believe it to be intentional. But there were moments in that opening performance where sheer white light bars stretched across mm-hmm. the s- screen, and it made me yeah. think that the that the camera and the lighting were picking up picking up the fretboard. On his guitar. My, my TV, my TV actually struggles to reproduce it all. Wow. I'm not even joking. I've got a half decent TV, but it, it's uh, it struggles to reproduce it all. It really feels, starts to feel like it's saturating. Um, yeah, that 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 opening is is phenomenal, and uh, also his drunk scene trying to do the Reorbison tribute group. Uh, that that was incredible. <laughs> the way it was yeah. filmed it, down the th- fretboard, and in fact, that was something. Oh God, I can't remember the film name, uh, maker's name, but I remember years ago as a kid watching the Clash film Rude Boy, yeah. which is a poor man's quadrophenia, but it's got some <laughs> good live footage in that as well. And uh, they talk about in there on the director's commentary. I, I remember one of the guys saying because I think it was co-directed by a couple of guys. I remember one of them saying that you should always rec- uh, film and shoot a guitar down the neck as much as you can it's just far more interesting than than filming it flat you know just just at the front way that you'd you'd look at it as an audience member uh if you were square on front of the stage and uh yeah there was that that's throughout that film it's almost like they heard the same director's commentary or whatever yeah uh it's throughout star is born what what i liked about star is born is it felt um you know it's not going to win uh, any awards for for world's greatest script or whatever, but it's it it what I enjoyed about it was it was it felt like a seventies picture. It felt documentary in style. Mm. It people people talk over each other. Bits of it feel a bit ad libbed, 
you're never quite sure who you're supposed to be focusing on in a conversation. It, it, it felt nice and organic in that way. Yeah. And uh, that, that was something that I, I enjoyed about it an awful lot. And, and on subsequent viewings, like I say, Lex has been watching it again and again. So I've managed to start to get quite familiar with it. I want to see it again. You know, I wouldn't mind when we when next we come up, I wouldn't mind watching it again, even if it's your eighth or ninth go around. Oh yeah, that wouldn't bother me. Yeah, I it's, mean, it's become. Yeah, I've en- I'm started to really enjoy it. As it opens, it must be said that that track is Cochise by Audio Slave. That opening track that they play mm-hmm. is some kind of inversion of that. In the same way that I remember saying to you, you might like charmer by kings of leon because it's a kind of an inversion of pixies and mm. that's why it's one of the reasons why it's far and away one of the best kings of leon tracks because it's i remember the base well, of yeah. it kind of backwards um so but you know what it won me over and i can tell you i know it won me over because i watched that film and even while it was happening i thought it's a hell of a lot like cachise by audio slave and he ain't no uh chris cornell Mm. And then the next three days at work, I listened to the track over and over and really enjoyed it because it, like Bradley Cooper's written that song and it is a fine slice of, I think, specifically what that character would write and play well at that stage in his career. It's either the track that made him who he is or it's um, pandering to the fans and penning a big, bold rock song. And it does work. Mm. And uh, yeah, it, even now thinking about it, I want to go back and rewatch that scene. It captured better than I've seen in forever, especially in American cinema, uh, what it is like to be at a gig and mm. what you experience when you're watching a performer and especially what you wish you could see from a concert film. Because you so yeah. seldom get that. It's really dispiriting. You know what? I've got Rude Boy in my hand. I happen to have the VHS and it's... Uh, Jack Hazen and David mm. Mingay. I don't know who they That's are, it, really. Yeah. But no, no, nor do I. I, I, I don't think they're soon. that prolific or anything. But yeah. But so what you're saying, what you're saying, is better than Jonas Brothers in concert 3D. You know all these films because it was your gig for a bit. They all pass through <laughs> your your um screen burn, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, that that film didn't. But yeah, oh. for for a while when we had our own. Uh, Facebook video on demand platform start up screen burn don't look for it not even the website's there anymore but <laughs> yeah we, we, we did put out a lot of concert films um, uh, on on the platform at that time Jonas Brothers wasn't well maybe it was maybe it was maybe that is ringing a bell actually it could well have been and what Star anyway. is Born made me excited for was uh, over the last four years I've got heavily into not Fleetwood Mac but Lindsay Buckingham in particular I've been listening to mm-hmm. Tusk a lot uh, yeah, phenomenal that, that isn't yeah, it? That, oh, that album yeah. is uh, just assorted fragments of exciting artistic ideas. He recorded mm. he recorded a lot of it on his own, and you can see that he's getting notions and seeing where it takes him. Like one of my favourite tracks on it is "The Ledge." It's about two minutes, mm. and I listened mm. to that and thought, I didn't fucking realise Fleetwood Mac did this sort of music, and I don't know if the mm. rest of the band did either. Like this is just Lindsay having ideas. And, it's, um, it's going through a, a, a cultural renaissance because at the time it was the difficult follow-up to Rumours, wasn't it? Which yeah, was, yeah. Um, an impossible album to follow up. No one could have done it because it was the world's biggest yeah. selling album like of all time. And then they were in the studio for what was years, I assumed, coming up with this stuff. And 
I think people were left scratching their heads, like, what is this? But I think I've really been hearing it on the lips of people a lot over the past four or five years, maybe. I was really lucky. I got it out of time. When we were living together, I suppose it would have been January 15 or January 16. I picked up Tusk from out of time in Ipswich. I was really pleased to see that it was still going, still thriving. I've known that for almost 25 years. I've been going it's beyond thriving. It, it, it's it's it, not only is it an Ipswich institution, but I think because of the rebirth of vinyl, it's uh, it's gone from strength Some to strength. Some of these things, really yeah, well. in, you just have to wait them out. In fact, in, yeah, you do. And in fact, what's really interesting with Out of Time Records, and sorry to go off on a tangent, is that they ri- about a year ago they ripped out all of their CD racks, and it's just vinyl racks. Oh right, now. yeah, that's the way to go. I don't. I just bought. A, uh, having said that. I just bought a CD today. I got it from... I, I don't usually go to the Oxfam record shop in Ealing much anymore. I'm spending all my money on laser discs and VHS tapes. But I stepped in there where I used to buy a record a month and I picked up a sub-pop John Peel compilation, which caught my oh, eye. Cool. It's got Tad, Codeine and some of the, mm-hmm. more un, uh, the more obvious picks like Mud Honey and Velocity Girl. Uh, I'll give that yeah. a listen. Anyway, so I was in out of time, and I got Tusk for a tenner, and I think that was the time he gave me more songs about buildings and food for free because he said that it was either that or Adventure by Television that he gave me for free because he thought maybe it was scratched. And I, neither of them were scratched. And Adventure by Television, it's right. It's not as good as Marquee Moon, but I bloody love mm. listening to it. It doesn't. I can't recall its songs as easily, but I mm. yeah, I really like it. Um, and since then, I've I've been very enthusiastic about Tusk and about Lindsay Buckingham and the genius of Lindsay Buckingham. And then it was it didn't take too long for me to realise that Bradley Cooper in American Hustle essentially cops his style and his wonderful permanent from Lindsay Buckingham. And now in my head, all I'm thinking of is yes, you've got to get Bradley Cooper in. You've got, he has to be. You need him to play Lindsay in the Fleetwood Mac biopic. I don't know who you get for Stevie Nicks yet or some of the others, but uh, that's what I, uh, I have a longing for that now. You can get Gaga to play Stevie Nicks. I don't mind, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, she was great. I think the, it's difficult for me right now to judge the relative artistic merits and value of a star is born as a film directed by Bradley Cooper. Um, I need to see it a few more times. I think he was good in it. She was great. And this is a pal of mine at work said that one of the drawbacks of Cooper's performance was that he was giving an actor's performance, kind of a classic Gary Oldman seven out of ten performance, where a lot of it is about the voice and the physicality, right? So he's definitely acting, whereas Lady Gaga turns up and she's just—I um, don't even like calling her that. She's Stephanie Germanotta to me now. You know, she needs to move into a new phase. But she turns up. And I'm not saying that she's playing herself, but there is, uh, there's a lack of affectation about her performance, which is very disarming, feels very honest and true, especially the moments when she's chatting sass at her boss at the restaurant. That felt yeah, like, yeah. shit, this is a real woman. There's no acting about this. It's fantastic. And then the film loses... Um, after about 40 minutes, it's run out of surprises, I suppose is what it is. So the momentum continues adequately it's only going in one direction even if you haven't seen the other adaptations of a star is born it you know it can really only end up in one of two or three ways and it's likely to be the one you're thinking of 
It would be very yeah. unusual, for instance, if it turned out, hey, I'm popular again and no one likes Gaga. <laughs> that that's that's not going to happen is it um but the, yeah the first the, those first 5 minutes and broadly speaking the first 30 to 40 minutes was great and well done Bradley Cooper um, I don't know how we got that property that's the other thing I was at cinema with Thorpe to watch it and Warner Brothers comes up and I think shit I never see Warner Brothers films anymore if it's not Christopher Nolan mm. and I'm not into Harry Potter I don't I forget which licenses they have whereas when we were kids it felt like if you knew studios, it was Universal, Paramount, Warner Brothers. Yeah, and I guess you don't go and see the DC Comics films. Then, no, this right? no, this is it. Yeah, and all the films we watch, and you'll have this as well. Or the Harry Potters. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm not into the Crimes of Grindelwald. The um, Mr. Grindelwinder. <laughs> it's all A24 and Bloomhouse and Annapurna. They're doing the best stuff. Yeah, and that's true. Since we're we're on the topic, we need to draw attention to that as well. Who is it? Yes, Spike Lee. That's Bloomhouse. Black Klansman is Bloomhouse. They've now got three, it is, yeah. three Academy Awards from a studio that started about 13 years ago with the Darwin Awards, a silly straight-to-video mm. nonsense adaptation with loads of B-stars and like slumming Winona Ryder, and then made it, yeah, sure. made most of its money with Paranormal Activity. They've now got an Academy Award for Whiplash, Academy Award for Get Out, and now for Black Klansman. And I think shit, like they didn't just go respectable, uh, that they. They're completely reinvigorating popular yeah. film culture. I love it. And they are the name in horror, as we all know. Yeah. And you know, Get Out was one of my favourite films of uh, of a year or two ago. And even the kitschy stuff is decent. Happy Death Day was good, and Happy Death Day to You, which is the sequel. Yeah. Um, I haven't. I'm yet to see it, but I've heard good things. People going. Yeah, they've done something different with it, and I'm actually looking forward to seeing the third one because maybe they'll do something else. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's um, that that's it for me. Yeah, I, I think that they're one of the more exciting studio. Oh, it's, it's called a studio production company. They're one of the more exciting uh, companies they're around. They definitely are. Yeah, um, uh, it's our intention later this year to try to look into that in more depth because, um, I've paid attention, and I understood their origins. But it's it's I suppose it's been like this, you know. They kick off and we're all aware of paranormal activity. Then three years later, you realise, oh yeah, you know, they're, now they're doing more like kind of typical ghost story stuff. That's interesting. Then three years later, wait, what they did Whiplash, and then another three years later, yeah. holy sh! What the, they did the Black Klansman. Who are these guys, and yeah. how did they? What's their business strategy? Where is it the money is coming from? I, um, yeah, I'm. Well, they they made enough money off all the paranormal activities to pay yeah. for all the rest. Yeah, I'm, f- I'm fascinated. Um, but, well, but we're going to look into that. Studios used to do that. That used to be how it worked in the seventies. You'd have your A pictures, your B pictures. Yeah. We talked about it before. But you'd bank on your A's adaptations of the big novel of the decade or whatever to to make the money. And then your B pictures, yeah, see how they go. You know, that's 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 what it is. And if they make the money back, brilliant. And if they don't, it's okay. Um, but that, yeah, that this is this is shame we don't get a bit more of that perhaps these days. Maybe that is how Bloomhouse have uh, have done so well. Um, why haven't they given our boy Joe Dante a picture yet? That's what I want to know because um, yeah. we're researching our upcoming Joe Dante episode, and uh, he seems. Um, I just get the feeling, and I have done over the past ten years, that he's struggling to find money. You know, people like him and Landis and some of our favourite directors. I just don't feel like people want to give those guys. Any money to do anything. Yeah. Um, feels like Blumhouse could be a good good home for him for a picture, but 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 maybe not. Yeah, the two of them and Carpenter. I think that we're far along, we're far enough along, that 
their style could be back in vogue as a retro feel. Uh, the geezer who did it follows was copying from John Carpenter to an extent. Plenty of Steadicam. You know, Halloween just oh, yeah. came out again by David Gordon Green, and I think we're far enough along that if you show American Werewolf in London or The Thing or Inner Space to a, a young audience, an audience of, say, 15 to 25, yeah, all right, like, your common or garden may not be into it. But sin- not, not just cinephiles, but people with an understanding of interesting stuff and, and transgressive people, they'll say, shit, I've never se- I haven't seen anything like this in my life. There's been nothing like mm. this in 15 years. Who's making this? I want to see more of this. I'm influenced by this. This is exciting to me. It'd be great if Bloomhouse could do that. Because I think these guys, they've, they've still got something in them. It, it can't have just mm. been... Whatever they had doesn't go away entirely. And given the right circumstances, they can recapture it. A little bit like Billy Friedkin, who had a pretty crappy 90s, but came back mm. with Killer Joe, which was deranged and brilliant. Grand Guignol, and that was the picture. That and... Um, that and Eastbound and Down and Tropic Thunder were what mm. reignited Matthew McConaughey as if he'd got a new agent, as if he'd found someone who, mm. you know, or, or I just said to his agent, enough of this. I'm, I am an actor. Yeah, yeah, Do you remember yeah. when I was an actor? Like a time to kill. Larger than life. Yeah. He was a crazy man in Larger Than Life. He can do it. He can <laughs> he do many was. things. He I'm was. not overrating him. I don't think he's Joaquin Phoenix. But... Yeah, yeah, there was a fallow period where he was just, all right, all right, all right. And then you think, no, it's not all right, mate. I know what you can do now. Will you <laughs> will you start trying again? Jesus, put some effort in. And he did. And what happened? True Detective, Academy Award, etc., etc. Anyway, yeah. uh, is there any other Academy Award winners that we need to take a look at? Let's, I think we've mentioned see. my favourites. Yeah. We've mentioned The Favourite, which which probably was my favourite. I loved Black Klansman. So I'm pleased about that. I need to catch up with Green Book. Star is Born, I think, is um, a very enjoyable picture, which feels like it's from the 70s. It feels like it's been cut to vinyl. That's one of the great things I love about Star is Born. Um, And there's a couple that I need to go back and and check out. So, you know, hearing a lot about Roma, um, it's obviously freely available on Netflix. I can watch it any time. I was also reading that it could well have been... um, almost a passive-aggressive move against Roma, because that was really getting tipped uh, just prior to the you know, the 11th hour. A lot of people saying, ah, it's it's Roma's year. But, of course, um, I wonder if people decided, uh, in, in the Academy, decided to vote against it. Is a, because Netflix had, had put an unprecedented sum of money behind yeah. its Oscar campaign, and I think maybe that rubbed people up the wrong way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Hollywood is... So it's... Uh, it's Generally, well, it's protective of its own, uh, you know, its own. It, it's a cottage industry. Yeah, built. Yeah. It, it's all. It, it's so insular, and it's all a very small, small world of people, isn't it? And I think that they they look after themselves. You know, they look out for each other. Yeah, and uh, they're, they're not. They they're very, very wary of letting these Netflix, Amazon Prime creeps into their territory. Uh, yeah, as. And in my opinion, they should be as well. I think Hollywood has always been a set of liberals that behave conservatively because it's an industry. It needs to make money. Every award season in time immemorial, they push what is considered a liberal agenda and what you and I would consider as, you know, the right thing. And they've always done that. Let's consider the origins of Hollywood. It's a a collection of Jewish emigres working with closeted gay and lesbians 
but so they know all these people they love all these people they employ them all they they it's their intention to employ as every communist they can every gay they can every lesbian they can as many blacks as is allowable until it becomes uh, commercially unviable and that's essentially what it's been because I, I was thinking um i think about this a lot the way that the 20s was a very liberal time now it wasn't across the world now, when i'm talking about it i, I don't mean in Riyadh. And I don't mean in the Democratic mm. Republic of the Congo, but I mean in mm. pockets, significant pockets of Western society in Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, London, Paris, Berlin. The 20s mm. was an extraordinarily liberal time. And that's what worries me about the time we're in now, because the 20s was followed by the motherfucking 30s. There was definitely mm. rather a, a kickback and a backlash mm -hmm. against liberal progressive and transgressive behavior and i'm worried that we might approach something like that now but that was what was happening in the 20s there and there were uh, of course if you went outside of these circles there were um uh essentially organs of the government tried to restrict individuals uh, i heard some very interesting stuff about if you think that the war on drugs started with the birth of the fbi and in the post-prohibition so middle of the 30s say um all of that started as a response to what was perceived as a lot of literate transgressive artistic types fucking who they please smoking what they want engaging in whatever behavior they enjoy um i was at a, a just last week i was at a pg woodhouse event and um oh damn you Hold on. Oh, it's called something like It's Allowable. Anything Goes? Yes. Thank you. Thank God. <laughs> from uh, from uh, Indiana Jones Temple of Doom. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, it's yeah. a song about prevailing progressive attitudes, talking about how skirts used to be this long and now this long. Anything Goes. It just shows you, again, that the 20s and into the 30s was a liberal, frivolous, exciting, progressive, transgressive time that can all be lost. We need to be careful that it isn't lost. And uh, yeah, that's around the time that cinema was in its infancy. And the, Acad the first Academy Awards was, I think, 29. Wings was the first best picture. It might be as early as 27, 28. And that was in the days when they do wacky shit. Like they awarded Snow White a special Academy Award and gave her seven little miniature dwarf Academy Awards as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, it's it's a, a town which has its heart in the right place, but that if it's not commercial, then unfortunately they're not interested. And so, um, broadly speaking, like here's another. I'll I'll give you hit you with a fact bit before we move on. But um, <laughs> although the Oscars so white hashtag again, which I've got my reservations about, uh, started in a 2015 and maybe in 2014. And in, this, in the three years subsequent to that, 16, 17 and 18, we've seen increased diversity. So by my count, in 2016, there were nine what you would call diverse uh, nominations for the actor categories, followed by five in 17 and five in 18. However, there was a great run earlier this century as well, in 2004, 2005 and 2006, with nominations for Jamie Foxx, Don Cheadle, Morgan Freeman, Sophie Okonedo... Forrest Whitaker, Will Smith, Juman Hunsu. And if you want to include the Jewish, which I would as well, then you've got Rachel Weiss and Alan Arkin. In fact, there were five wins during that time against mm. four for the period we've just had. So 
Um, the moves that are being made are entirely appropriate and to an extent necessary. I think that the Academy Awards is a time for inclusion. I don't, I don't require inclusion in all of the art that I interact with. I don't need Paul Schrader to start making films about African Americans any more than I need um, Nancy Myers to start making films about South Korean men. But um, I think the Academy Awards is the place for Hollywood to try to show the best of itself and in essentially prioritise inclusion. I, th I think that's important because of the optics of it, because it's on television and it should be uh, kind of the best of the entertainment industry projecting what it would like to be and, and who it holds as important. However, as I'm saying, uh, we had a good run in the middle of the last decade as well, 15 years ago. So it's mm. not entirely without precedent, but it is um, on a greater scale than before. Um, and some of those, in 2006, for instance, there was nominations for Rinko Kikuchi, which is very unusual to get um, uh, an East Asian nominated for Academy Award. Ken Watanabe is another. Dr. Hang S. Noor won for The Killing Fields, but that's quite rare. So uh, essentially... This is the funny thing, Luke. I rail against all this shit, but it's because I, I, I agree with all of it and have agreed with all of it from such a young age that it kind of riles me when we still hear these arguments so vociferously made because I, to myself, I think, didn't we have this? Like, I grew up with Red Dwarf, Whoopi Goldberg, Eddie Murphy, Blues Brothers. Uh, it was all elementary to me, and I'm surprised that we need reminding, but we do. We do need reminding, and so pretty much well done the Academy Awards, and if it gave us anything, it gave us that great moment of Spike Lee and Samuel L. Jackson, and I, I, I hold that close to my heart. I feel like I've been on a journey with Spike. As long as I've been into cinema, there's been Spike Lee, and shortly after mm. getting into cinema, this is the thing, and we've talked about this before, but the first people I got into were the Holy Trinity of Johns, Carpenter, Landis and Hughes, and Joe Dante as well, <laughs> then James Cameron, um, and then I knew I was becoming adult when I first watched Do the Right Thing and He Got Game, and Girl 6, and I thought, yeah, like, films for grown-ups. So Spike <laughs> Lee will always be important to me for that. And that's the other thing, like, you, you, watch, you watch Do the Right Thing when you're 15, 16 years old. It's pretty difficult to pass. You come out of it, wow, what an ordeal. Yeah. And you've no idea, yeah, yeah. to an extent, you've no idea what to make of it because you are, even at that age, you're used to, even having seen the films I'd seen, you're generally used to good triumphing over evil. And if it's not that, then it will be um, uh, a very obvious anti-hero like Snake Plissken in Escape from New York. Or even Indiana Jones, where he's roguish and he's kind of a bastard, but you get behind him anyway because he's on the side mm -hmm. of right. Whereas a picture like Do the Right Thing, which is observably... It's not um, an action movie. It's not uh, superhero stuff. It's definitely a neighbourhood, mm -hmm. normal people like yeah. you and I. And you think, fuck... I don't know what to do. Everyone, yeah. every, everyone has a point of view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And it, it, which is great. I, and I'm glad that it was. I'm glad that Spike Lee was the one was one of the most important Academy Award winners of this year, because that point of view, as you say, that everyone has a point of view, and then we can be on everyone's side all at the same time. That's one of the most important messages we can be told at this time. In history, and the other thing is, like, I, I don't want to exaggerate. This is the best time to live ever. 
Nevertheless, I do feel that if we're not careful, things can be taken away from us. And we do mm. need to watch out for that. We have to keep our head on a swivel. Oscars 2019 here on One Sensational Shot. And yeah, you're right, Fletch. Uh, never take your eye off the ball because uh, mm. anything can happen. Anything goes. Uh, <laughs> Indeed, you've been yeah. We didn't even mean to you've talk this long about the Academy Awards, did we? But we really got into it. So I suppose maybe it was. It, it, it did start a conversation and, and they got their way in the end. They've got us talking about it. That's what it's all about, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> it's that conversation. Um, and that, that's what... I like great unifiers. I like things that, that, that are part of the um, zeitgeist. And I like it when we're all talking about the same thing or yeah. um, watching watching a similar thing, you know, whatever it might be. And, uh, you know, it's what people say about royal weddings and that. You, you, you may feel like you're not a royalist or, or, or whatever but i i do generally speaking i i like it when we're all we're all on the same page and talking about a similar topic whether we agree with it or not anyway uh you've been listening to the evening glass with luke little boy and fletcher walton here on one sensational shot you can get in touch with us on twitter we're at one sensational you can search for us on facebook one sensational shot and of course go to one sensational shot.com you can get in touch with us there on the website. And don't forget, you can always go to our eBay store, One Sensational Shop. Just uh, follow it there. You can go, go to our main website and you can find all the social media links, everything that you could ever possibly need. It's been an absolute pleasure and we look forward to our next podcast, The Electronic Labyrinth, when we're going to be celebrating uh, the anniversary of The Burbs, starring Tom Hanks, uh, which is, of course, directed by Joe Dante. And we're going to be revisiting a lot of Joe Dante's work and celebrating uh, his uh, his career over many many years. So in the meantime, thanks very much indeed for listening. This has been Luke Littleboy and Fletcher Walton signing off. Yeah.